0: We learn Ben In the 23rd chapter in this week's Torah portion following God's instruction regarding the sacrifices to be brought and the commandment of the festival of Shavuos of Bays verse 22 reads Uvakutrachem is Kzir Artsakem, and when you reap your land's harvest, Loisikhal Pasodha Pikutzracha. Do not completely remove the produce from the corners of the fields during harvesting. Ulukoit Ktzircha Lois Lakit, and don't gather up the leavings of the reapers. Leoni Ulager Taziv Ani Hashem Kechem, Leave these for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This instruction is in fact a repeat of the instruction already given almost word for word in the last Torah portion. in Kedahem, where in chapter 19, Perakutes Posuktes, verse 9 were instructed in this mitzvah of Leket, of leaving gleanings in the field, and payah, not harvesting the corners of the fields, all in order to sustain the poor and the stranger who own no fields of their own. Various commentaries set out to explain the repeat of this mitzvah adjacent to the commandment of observing the festivals. Ibn Ezra explains that the reason for mentioning this again here is is that as the festival of Shavuos is the festival of harvesting the wheat, the verse is repeated as a reminder for this mitzvah to be observed at this time when one begins the harvesting anew. The Ramban, Nachmanides, gives a different explanation and says that the repetition of the words when you will harvest the lo- harvest of your land alludes to the harvest that is mentioned earlier in this chapter and in this Torah portion in verse 10 in Pasuk Yud, which commands us to bring an omer offering of the first barley harvest to the Kayan when we enter the land of Israel. Because we have this commandment, one should be sure not to neglect these two mitzvahs of Leket and Peah of the barley harvest. There are explanations from other commentaries who similarly suggest that this verse is here to ensure that we do not neglect these two mitzvahs of Leket and peah in the Omer harvest under the mistaken assumption that we've already fulfilled a mitzvah with this harvest of the barley fields by bringing the Omer and have no further obligations with mitzvahs regarding these fields. When all these seemingly suitable answers are offered by the commentaries, we cannot help but wonder why Rashi particularly chooses an explanation from Tehras a Midrashic explanation. Perhaps Rashi is not comfortable with the explanation of Maimonides, as then one would wonder why the verse, if associated with an earlier verse in the chapter, isn't in fact placed earlier in the chapter where it seemingly associates, but then Rashi could have explained the verse according to the Ezra, which is a seemingly simple satisfactory explanation reflecting the literal intention of the verse. We can find our answer by observing first some of the points that Rashi highlights in his answer. Rashi quotes the word of a when you reap, and says, This is repeated, so that if one neglects these mitzvahs, he has transgressed not one, but two prohibitions. Rashi then continues with the explanation in Teiris KAYANIM and says, Ravavadrimus, the son of Rabbi Yosef, said, Why does the Torah place this pasuk? in the very midst of the Pesukim regarding the laws of the festivals with Pesach and Shavuos before it and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and the Chag Sukkot after to tell us that one who keeps the laws of Leket, shikha, and peah properly will be considered as having contributed to the building of the Besa Mikdash and brought Karbonus within. Here are some things we do know about Rashi's teachings on Chomesh. When Rashi brings a second separate explanation on a single word or words from a verse, he separates his two explanations with a separate dibor Hamasril to indicate the new explanation. Yet he does not do so here, which tells us that these two explanations are in fact connected. They don't seem connected. The transgression of two loisases does not seem to be connected at all to an explanation of why the verse is placed where it is placed in the middle of the verses on the festivals. Also, when Rashi quotes a source for an explanation, he does so because this adds something to the verse which will turn out to be important particularly for the seasoned scholar. Rashi also elaborates greatly in his explanation using many words to say between the verses of the holidays, listing them instead, and doesn't suffice with just saying between the verses of the holidays. Rashi also adds something in his explanation that isn't actually mentioned in the verse. The verse speaks of leaving leket and not harvesting the corners, peah, but Rashi adds shikha, the forgotten stalks, that must not then be claimed and must be left for the poor and the stranger. Indeed, this is the way it is worded in Tereskayanim, in the name of Rav Avadrimus, but it would not be unusual for Rashi to omit what was not absolutely relevant to his explanation. He hasn't claimed to be quoting directly from Tereskayanim, which would make the whole lengthy explanation, including shikha, understandable. But Rashi doesn't omit, and so what he includes must be relevant to the literal intention of the verse. All of this becomes even more perplexing when we consider that Rashi does change from the language used in the Teres Kayanim in several instances. In the Teres Kayanim, the language used doesn't include the festival of sukkus, Rashi adds v'chag, a reference to sukkus. On the other hand, teres the words used are one who observes leket, shikha, Mpeya, and meisr but Rashi omits meisr In teres the language used is all who observed. Rashi says all who appropriately observe the leaving of leket, peah, and shikha for the poor. Another change is that in Teres Kainim, the language used is when he observes these mitzvahs, it is deemed as though the temple exists and he is bringing sacrifices in it. Rashi says when one observes these mitzvahs properly, he is considered to be the one who builds the temple and bringing his sacrifices in it. Though it's possible that there was actually a version of this in the name of Ravavadrimus, Ad- as Rashi quotes it, but this too demands clarification. Why did Rashi intentionally choose this particular version in the name of Ravavandrimus rather than a common version of Terus Kayanim? The choice tells us that this version is more suited to the literal intention of the words in the verse in the posuk. Rashi's explanation on the verse continues with his clarification of the word ta'aziv, to leave the gleanings in the corners unharvested. Rashi explains that ta'aziv means to leave these gleanings and not to assist in collecting them. Because if you assist one person, another might lose out. Of course, the question here is, why is Rashi explaining ta'azayv here in the repetition of these mitzvahs? Why did Rashi not explain this word ta'azayv earlier in the first time we received this mitzvah in k'dayshim, when the same terminology is used? These questions can perhaps all be explained as follows. The verse itself, actually, does not have an unusual or questionable placement according to the verse's literal intention, which is what Rashi seeks to clarify. The verses follow the order of the verse that come, commands us to bring an omer offering when we come to the land, followed by the mincha offering, the new meal offering, after a count of seven weeks on Shavuos from the new wheat crop. And then, in connection to this, the Torah gives us more mitzvahs associated with harvesting the crop. Rashi particularly seeks to explain why the Torah cautions us regarding the mitzvah of Peah and Leket again, a second time, after it's already been taught in Kteshim, which is what the Evan pointedly asks, a reason to mention this a second time. And Rashi responds to this with, it was repeated so that one who disobeys would be transgressing two negative commandments. In Parshas Kadeshim, together with this commandment of Peya and Leket, the Posuk, Posuk Yutes tells us, you shall not glean your vineyard or collect the fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the stranger. If the Torah saw fit to remind us again of these mitzvahs, as the Evan Ezra suggests, then these verses too should be repeated. Clearly then, as they are not repeated, the verse regarding the vineyard and collecting the fallen grapes and leaving the gleanings of the vineyard, the repetition of Peah and Leket is not about concern that we will forget to perform these mitzvahs. So Rashi explains the repetition, saying that two transgressions would be performed if they neglected to do the mitzvahs. There's no need for the question, why these? Why the repetitions so that these are two lavim here, as there are several instances in Torah when a mitzvah is repeated, thus obligating a Jew more than once. This question, why these specifically, also would not be relevant to the literal intention of the verse. But once we answer the question regarding repetition, we wonder about placement. Why in the middle of the mitzvahs of the festivals? And the question of placement is about the verse coming as it does between Pesach and Shavuos on one side and sukkis, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and Sukkis on the other. The reason for this would be that if the mitzvah regarding harvesting would be a new commandment, if Leket and Peah would never before commanded in Torah, it would require no explanation why it's placed here among the verses of harvesting the fields, in order that one not think, that having performed the mitzvahs with the offerings of the fields, the Eimer offering and the Mincha offering, one is now entitled to everything else in his field. So the Pasuk would be forewarning us regarding peah and Leket. As, however, the verse repeats the Lav already taught to us in K'teshim, and there is no concern about one forgetting why then in the middle of the verses teaching us about the festivals is this mitzvah repeated. These verses aren't about harvest specifically. In fact, the verse about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur have no association to the harvest at all. This is why Rashi explains as he does telling us that one who is careful with these mitzvahs is considered to have built the temple and brought sacrifices in it. Let's expound upon this a bit. There's a connection between leaving gifts for the poor and bringing sacrifices. A sacrifice, as Rashi explains in Vayikra, must be brought from something that belongs to you and not something you, God forbid, stole. What you give to God, to the kohen, and on the mizbeach by God's command, must be something of yours. Likewise, what you leave for the poor must be produced from your land. This is the case each time one gives to the poor, but with the mitzvahs of leket, Shikha, and peah, it is even more pronounced. Regular charity that you give to another while it may come out of your pocket, isn't necessarily something you earned or worked for. There are any number of ways for you to have easy money, inherited money, a quick business deal. The money can certainly help you sustain yourself, and so, in giving it away, it is considered some level of self-sacrifice. But the produce of one's field that's left as leket and pea really exists as a result of one's physical efforts. From planting to harvesting, it's all your physical effort. That's the way it is when a person owns land and grows crops on his land. He lives by the sweat of his brow. And so Rav Rab-Avavad, explanation brought in Tereskayanim is particularly appropriate when he says, one who observes the commandments properly is considered to have given the temple existence and he brings his sacrifices inside it, that this is the result of the leaving of leket and shikha and peya and ma'asar oni. But Rashi highlights something additional, that this work one has put into his fields that he will leave for the poor man All before he enjoys the fruit of his labor isn't just like the act of bringing a carbon, it's like he built the temple itself, like the work and effort of building that precedes even the bringing of sacrifices. In fact, there are two differences here differences here in the analogy of he is considered to have brought sacrifices in an existing temple versus building the temple. The first difference is that he takes of his own belongings, as per God's command, he gives something that he can use to sustain himself and his family, something he really worked hard for. And the second is that he then gives this, as per God's command, to a needy person. The difference between taking and giving is that in taking something of his own, the focus isn't really on how it gets to the needy person. But when it's about the giving aspect, how he fulfills the giving is important. And this is where we can see the distinct difference between the words of Rav and the words of Rashi. In Teirus the emphasis is on the comparison of of leaving the gleanings and sacrifice. It's about bringing the produce out of his field. And so Ravavadrimas includes shikha and maeser ani, which are comparable in this respect to leket and peya. Man takes of his own produce, which he worked hard to produce. Rashi, on the other hand, highlights the giving appropriately to the poor person, and includes only shikha, the forgotten leavings, which is comparable to leket and Peya. in the realm of giving. Pay, shikha, leket, and Peya are similar in the aspect of giving because the field owner has absolutely no benefit or pleasure from his giving. He just leaves it. And cannot make any decisions around who the crops, or wheat, or barley go to. Maiser Shani is different, and Rashi leaves it out. As with maiser sheni, one can choose to give the maiser to specifically relatives. This giving experience is more about, as Rashi says, the building of the temple, not just that a temple exists. Building the temple is through effort, that is, for the pleasure and benefit of every single Jew. This isn't an experience of ki'ilu, as though he brings his sacrifices in it, essentially benefiting himself. The question that arises here, however, is, much like Leket and Peah, are the mitzvahs regarding the vineyard and the fallen produce, which Rav doesn't mention at all. These are taught in conjunction with mitzvahs of Peah and Leket, the first time in Kedoshim. Why does he include shikha, which is not mentioned in our verse, but excludes the fruits of the vineyard, neither of which are mentioned in our verse? Hence, Rashi's presentation of the question of Rav Avadrimus Why is the verse placed between the verses of the festivals of Pesach and Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, and Sukkot, emphasizing thereby that that time before Sukkot is before the produce was gathered from the fields. The vineyards were not yet ripened and would only be picked later versus shikha, which was relevant to the harvesting at the time, which of course crystallizes why ma'asar ani is not mentioned, as the ma'asar ani of the produce was given generally after all the produce and grain was gathered together with the tithes of the vineyards at Sukkas. As well, ma'asar ani was in a different category, as it was a tithe given once every three years, and one's giving wasn't as impacted with this tithe. Similarly, the work and effort in the vineyards for the vinters was less intense in terms of time as compared to the produce of the fields. Looking more closely at the Rashi, we recall the question we asked earlier regarding the word taziv, leave it, leave the grains lying, and make no move to assist in their distribution lest one get more than another, says Rashi. We asked, why is Ta'azayv not explained the first time we're given these mitzvahs and Parshas Kedoshim? In Kedoshim, the intention of the word Ta'azayv is very clear. The Psukim and Kedoshim read, When you reap the harvest of the harvest of the land, don't fully reap the corners of the fields, don't gather the gleanings of your harvest, don't glean the vineyard, nor collect the fallen grapes, leave them for the poor and for the stranger. But in our parsha, when we already know this instruction and what we must do, and the repetition here is, says Rashi, to add how great the mitzvah is, that all who correctly fulfill this mitzvah are considered to have built the temple, pointing to how complete this act of giving is with no benefit at all to the owners of the fields, ta'aziv too then, repeated, is explained in this context. Leave it lying before them, and they, the ani and the stranger, will gather it. You may not assist either of them. Not only may you not decide who receives, but you also don't have the pleasure of assisting them to collect the seasoned scholar will yet want to know and understand the words of Rav Avadrimus. Whoever does these mitzvahs of Leket shikhan Peah properly, it will be considered as though he built a temple. What is so amazing in a person taking something of his own and giving it without receiving any pleasure or benefit? How is it that great that it's seen to equate with building the temple and sacrificing there. After all, the gleanings of the field are few in number. The corners of the fields are massive amounts of grain. A person can in fact fulfill his obligation with one fallen stock. True, even if it's a small amount of something, a person is still giving up something of his own, but as though he has built the temple and brought sacrifices in it, and so Rashi mentions this in the name of Ravi Avadrimus. In the Talmud Yerushalmi, our sages relate that a man by the name of Yehuda Ish Hutz'i spent three months in seclusion to contemplate, or three days to contemplate, the halacha that states that your city takes precedence in its needs over another city. In the context of his te- contemplation. The issue was water being channeled from a river to his city. After, speak, after spending time in isolation, contemplating this halacha and its source, he came to Rav the father of Ravi Avadrimus, for a halachic determination. Rav called for his son to come and state the halacha, and Ravavadrimus gives the source for the law. Why did Rav his father, who had originally created or given this psak halacha, this determination, called for his son to say this halacha. His son had a special connection to this specific halacha, that the life of one city comes before another city, that the needs of the poor of your city takes precedence over the poor of another city, and that a stranger in your city takes precedence over the poor of another city. Rabbi Vadrimus then, in stating the halacha here, that giving leket, peya, and shikha properly, with no calculation as to who receives it, is so great that it's as though the person built the base on mikdash. In these mitzvahs one cannot place his town first, or those close to him first. And this goes against one's nature and even negates the actual Torah law. Which makes this effort so amazing. Accordingly, there are some wondrous Halachic thoughts one can extrapolate from this Rashi. The Rambam Maimonides determines that Leket, Shikha, and Peya are negative precepts which, if transgressed, can be repaired with a positive precept. If one harvested all of his grain and left no corners unharvested, one can take grain and give it to a poor person or to a stranger, which is then fulfilling a positive commandment. But according to our discussion and Rashi's explanation, this is not a negative precept, repairable by a positive of leaving the grain for the poor and the stranger. The verse in Pashas kedashim tells us how to perform the mitzvah, the negative precept not to completely harvest the corners of your fields by leaving them for the poor and for the stranger. In our partial leave them for the poor and the stranger is a warning against experiencing any pleasure or benefit by aiding the ani or the ger. In other words, giving to the poor and the stranger in the commandments of Leket and peah, by leaving it all alone, by allowing them to take on their own, And for the owner of the field to experience no pleasure at all from this giving isn't a detail of the mitzvahs, rather it's the essence of the mitzvahs, giving properly to the ani and the ger, ta'azay isam, leaving them be to take on their own. In this same vein, Chassidus teaches a unique insight from this Rashi, how important it is to do a mitzvah even it is, if it is seemingly minuscule, like a single stalk of wheat, with no selfish interests or any pleasure-seeking. And how important, on the other hand, it is to bend, to bend one's own desire so much that if you see your enemy's donkey struggling under a burden, you must help him. It's by bending and really making space for something else, even something that feels wrong, because the Torah sees giving your townsfolk help first as a mitzvah, and here you're enjoined to do the opposite. And it's when you can bow and bend that Hashem considers your efforts, like the effort of building the Beis HaMikdash in offering sacrifices therein. It's when we allow ourselves to get busy changing our natural tendencies and changing the nature of our habits that were considered kiilu as though we were involved in building the temple where we will fulfill God's ultimate will in the third HaMikdash, may it be speedily in our day mamash